discussing all things virtual and augmented reality. I'm Leanne Collinson and joining me as always is Andy Nye, founder of VRAR company, New Moon Studios. Hello. Today we're going to be discussing the basics of creating a VR and AR game. And if you're thinking about incorporating this into your company, then what you need to be thinking about. So Andy, I know we've done a whole episode on this, but can you give us a really quick rundown and explain the differences between AR and VR? Okay, I'll try and keep it succinct. With augmented reality, you're using a device to overlay virtual content on top of the real world. If you think Pokemon Go, where you're seeing Pikachu overlaid on top of a video of the real world. And in virtual reality, we're using a device to replace the real world completely. Typically, you're putting a headset on and you're seeing an entirely imaginary space or perhaps a 360 video and you're not seeing anything of the real world at all. Okay, great to get the basics out of the way. What's best for your company? I mean, if you're going to pick between the two, which one would you pick? It absolutely depends on what your outcome is going to be, what your goal is. If you want to show somebody something um, like an object, for example, augmented reality would be best because you're looking at the real world with that object in that space. If you want to show somebody what a space looks like, for example, we've had a lot of discussions this week about architecture. You could use virtual reality to show something in terms of putting a user into a space that either doesn't exist yet or isn't finished. Mm-hmm. So we've had a few discussions about taking an unfinished apartment building making an entirely virtual version of that and decorating it to the final level of finish and allowing potential buyers to put a headset on and see that space exactly as it will be, whereas the real-world version of that currently looks completely empty and bare. So augmented reality allows you to visualise objects in the real space and virtual reality is really good for showing people what a space looks like. Mm. So I called it a game in the title of this podcast, but can you really call it a game? It's a difficult one. Um, We're very attached to the idea of games in general because it's a good shorthand. We've started to use the word experience because just having a level of interactivity doesn't make it a game necessarily. All the experiences we do have a level of gamification. All of those standards in terms of um, having a player and actions that have to be carried out I think work, but I think the word experience sums things up better. If you're talking about showing someone um, through a currently non-existent apartment block, it's not a game. The same controls are there, but you're not expecting to be uh, surprised. Uh, If you come around a corner, you're not expecting someone with a shotgun to be standing there. Um, So I think the word experience sums it up better because you can have quite serious content using the same language, if you like, of Mm. traditional gaming. Yeah, it's an interesting one. So what are the fundamentals when making a game? Can you explain the process from start to finish? I can have a good go. I mean, (laughs) it, it can be so involved and it very much depends on what you're making. Any experience that we work on typically has several layers. So you have a user interface, So those are the graphics that you see that give you information, whether that's a simple menu or perhaps it's your health bar, your energy, things like that. Or in a serious enterprise app, it might be an array of different options to choose from that you can customize a product. 
that will be all the user interface. Typically things that the user clicks on or selects. Then you would have the world, so that would be 3D models, uh, any products that you need to have built as 3D objects, or perhaps the entire room or building if you were doing an architectural experience. That's the 3D modeling, the environment. Then you have an audio layer, so perhaps you need voiceover, spot effects. If you want to give a user the idea that they are physically present in a space, you can create an entire sound scheme. So if in your virtual world there's a crackling log fire, if there's no accompanying sound, it's going to seem strange. It's going to seem broken. So we can physically position a virtual sound effect that will loop. And as the user moves through that space, the sound will get louder or quieter, and it will actually arrive in their ears at the right time to give them the, impact, the impression that it's physically in that space. Mm. Then you have the interactivity layer. So that'll be anything your user can do in that world or in that AR space. So making sure if you click on a button, something happens. Interactivity can go from that very simple layer to something really, really complex involved. For example, a complex training simulation might have hundreds of different interactions that can happen, and they would have to happen in the right order, if you like. So those are the main layers that make up an experience Behind the scenes, there's a lot of other things that happen in terms of planning those experiences, making sure there's a, a wireframe, a requirements document, and then at the other end, there's testing. Making sure that all those interactions are in the right place at the right time, making sure your graphics actually are accurate and, and well-optimized and things like that. It's actually basically a giant jigsaw piece. <laughs> That's what you're saying. And you're putting things together piece by piece to get the final picture and to get the experience. If I'm a business, what would I need to put together to give the developer the most knowledge I possibly could? It is quite difficult if you're not familiar with the terminology. And mm. we do try and avoid using too much jargon. I think if you can sum up the concept that you're going for in two paragraphs. That gives us a, a starting point. It's very rare that a client will come to us and know exactly what they want from A to Z. Typically, they know what the outcome should be, and they've got an idea about what the delivery method should be, and it's a conversation. We usually say, make sure you do your research, see what else is out there, do what I think we call benchmarking. Mm. If there's an app out there that's similar, or if there's a game that's similar to what you want, find it, play it to destruction, and then come to us with that as your starting point and say, this does maybe even 30% of what we want to do. And then we've at least got a starting point, and we can have that conversation about what works for your demographic and for the outcome that you want to achieve. And sometimes we'll have a conversation with the client, and through talking, you know, firing ideas back and forth, we find that maybe virtual reality isn't the right method for them. Gamification works, but virtual reality doesn't work. Or perhaps they were considering AR, but on reflection, virtual reality is more appropriate. Mm. So it's, I think, with any, as with anything, do your research, uh, have a conversation with us, um, and we can work to actually refine what it is that you're trying to build. 
uh, and move from there. Yeah, because um, from the phone calls I usually get and from the clients I usually meet, it tend, they know what the outcome that they want. They know what they want the, the viewer to experience or the user to experience, but they just don't know how to get there. So when they're researching, what would you think the best fundamentals to research for the company are? I would say it's delivery method. The first thing that we normally hit is we ask the question, will a user come to a space? Will they come to you and experience, for example, a virtual showroom, in which case we can have all sorts of sophisticated hardware? Or do you want to be on the app store? Do you want your app to go out to potentially the entire world who has a smartphone? Or are you actually interested in a smaller subset of your market that would come to you and you want to manage the whole experience? It's surprising how many times people don't really consider that. They may have seen some VR or AR somewhere and just thought, we should have that. And they're thinking about the technology first and not the outcome. I think you've got to think about what problem it's solving before you start thinking about the delivery method. Yeah, I suppose a lot of people come to us and say, oh, we want to be on the Oculus Rift, but they don't take into consideration that there's the Oculus Go that would actually work probably better for them, or there might be the HoloLens that they could potentially use instead. They don't think about that because it's not well known. They've used the Oculus because that's getting big press, but they're not actually thinking about other technology that would actually work better for them. So I think the research in the technology is a good idea, but I think what you've said is really relevant in the sense that it's a conversation with us as to technology, the outcome, they should be thinking about the outcome and we should be worried about the technology and they should be open to the technology. Yes, yeah. I think knowing your demographic and your outcome are the two most important things. Mm. There's no, you could make the most amazing virtual experience in the world, but if your market won't come to you to experience it or doesn't have the hardware where they are to experience it, then it's wasted. You need to have that, uh, that perfect fit of the outcome the demographic and the technology. So this is a million dollar question. <laughs> uh, is that how long is a piece of string kind of a question? But how much time does it take? So in so there's the start and finish of building a game, which could take forever, I suppose. But how much time in research should the companies put in before they pick up the phone? I suppose it varies. It's very difficult to pin down. If someone has never had a virtual reality experience before, I would say have one as soon as you can. And we actually offer um, our services, if you like, that people can come in and actually try out this technology with us and we can talk them through it. Because I think it's quite daunting to say, go out and try this technology uh, when there's a wide array. There's such a startling array now of different hardware and software solutions that you're probably better just finding either ourselves or a similar company that will show you and guide you through that. How long it takes to research? Um, it could be if you find something on the App Store that gives you a starting point in terms of the inspiration, it could be remarkably quick. If you wanted to go out and really research it, you could spend weeks attending expos, you know, watching um, videos online. Um, it may be way quicker to just pop in, see us for half an hour, and try the toys out for yourself. Yeah, that's a good point. It's also worth having to think about as well 
what company to go with. So as you're researching different companies, one company might specialise in architecture and that's what you want, which is great. And then you might have another one that specialises in um, paper-based marketing that can bring something to life similar to Blipper or Artifact. So if you're looking at, at these kind of products, it's worth looking at a company that would specifically specialise in your niche, using that as a benchmark, and then maybe shopping around as well to see if you can find anything Oh, absolutely. With a company that can do yeah. something similar. I would always say if there's a company that specialises in your sector, you should absolutely go with that company because they know mm. how to work for your demographic and for your challenge. And there are certain companies that do automotive and nothing but automotive, for example. And a company like ours, which is more of a generalist, we're not sector specific in that way, there's no way we would try to compete with them because they know how to make sports cars look astonishing. Yeah. They've spent a massive amount of money, time and research making sports cars just look astounding. Um, but if you ask them to go and build you an architecture experience, I don't think they would be able to, I think they'd struggle. If you said, make me a zombie shooter, <laughs> it's outside of their remit. But if you Google for VR, it's a relatively niche sector still. There's a lot of um, exciting figures about what the market is worth, but VR and AR are still relatively niche. But if you find somebody who is specialising in VR or AR for your sector, you should absolutely go with those people. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, and what I find really interesting as well is the companies, there's no statistics specifically for companies at the moment. A lot of them are pie in the sky figures that people are predicting the future. You've got all these futurists that are saying AR and VR are going to be the biggest thing in the next 20, 30 years, which is true. In the next five years, it's going to be huge. In the next three years, it's it's huge. It's huge now. So I think it sends a bit of a benchmark for gaming, the fact that people are expecting these figures. Is it worth jumping on the VR and AR bandwagon now? Oh, absolutely. Um, a few years ago, it was referred to as emerging technology. Mm. And it's absolutely emerged. If you look at the, the figures that people estimate for what the total VR market is worth, it's enormous and maybe a little over-optimistic. But if you look at the number of games and the number of sales on Steam, it's, it's there now. People are making a reasonable amount of money from virtual reality uh, selling to the end consumer. A note of caution is that the market isn't as big as it would be for mainstream gaming at the moment. So if you were looking at how to get the best return on investment, mainstream gaming actually does slightly better than virtual reality. But most of the virtual reality experiences that we see coming through on Steam, they've kept the budget relatively conservative. If you go for an original concept that only really works in virtual reality and you keep your budget manageable, then you can make a good return on investment. If you think you're going to go out and make something of the scope of Skyrim, for example, as an indie developer or as a small, as a, as a small consumer, um, sorry, as a small client, you are not going to be able to do that. You'd have to come up with a concept that's relatively conservative in its scale but has just enough of a difference to make it so that it works well in virtual reality. Yeah, it's a good point. 
Steam's huge, but it all depends on where you, the audience is, where your audience is as a business. So that you can release a game on Steam, but it, it can very easily get lost in Steam. But if you are a business, you are specifically going towards specific clientele, and it's all about the marketing and how you advertise that. Yes, absolutely. I think the idea that if you build it, they will come is pretty much dead. Mm. There's so much uh, in terms of releases on Steam or in terms of releases generally, new applications going on to the App Store all the time. If you don't have a good business plan, a good uh, marketing strategy to back up that content, no one will find it. You have to be your own um, traffic generator, if you like. You can't expect Steam or Apple or Google Play to prioritize your content. No matter how amazing it is, you've got to have that strategy to push it out there and make people care. Yeah. Okay, million-dollar question, Andy. Another one. That's two in this one. I need a little bell that goes ding, ding, ding (laughs) every time I ask a million-dollar question. But how much does it cost? I think we did cover this briefly in another uh, podcast. It varies wildly. As we were using Skyrim as an example, that's a game that cost millions of pounds. To give an example of the range that we do, we've done AR and VR using our own platforms that cost as little as £1,000, and then we've had projects that are £150,000. So it totally depends on the scope. It's what's the lifespan of this as well. You could have something where... It takes a few weeks to develop and it's going to have a marketing life cycle of a few weeks. Or you might have something where you're setting the foundation for two, three, even five years of ongoing development of a training package, for example. So that has to be reflected in the costs as well. Yeah. I think as a company, what I would do before I even speak to a developer I'd think right do I want in an ideal world do I want multiplayer do I want lots of people to be able to interact at the same time what do I want the graphics to look like do I want the best graphics and to make it look as real as possible or do I want to cartoonify this because it still gets the message across where do I want the platform to be Do I want it on Steam so anyone can download it? Do I want it for specific clients? And if you broke as much information down as possible in a bullet point form, which actually, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to make a, (laughs) I'm going to make a document that will break all this down. So they, it'll be a tick box. You, all you've got to do is go to numerousstudios.co.uk and download the form and that'll be a, a bullet point system that anybody can use. It won't give you the prices, but it will give you a better idea of what to ask for when speaking to a company like ours. Yeah, that's a great idea. Hmm. So what are the limitations of VR, Andy? The first yeah. limitation that springs to mind is that you... There are debates about whether you can use VR if you're under 13 Mm -hmm. because your eyesight is still developing. If you're looking at mobile VR, one of the limitations is graphical fidelity. On a mobile device, you can't have as much detail as you would if you're running it from a powerful VR-capable PC. Another limitation is locomotion. We've come up with a a variety of different solutions to get players around inside a virtual world because moving a user against their will, if you like, is 
potentially nausea causing. So if you have a joystick that moves the player forwards in the world, some people are really prone to motion sickness. So you can have a quite spectacular result if you're not careful about how you move the user through the space. On a PC-based experience, you've normally got room-scale VR. So people do have a freedom of movement. They can look under tables. They can move around in, let's say, two-meter square space. So you can allow people to explore and then have a teleportation option. So they can beam themselves around from room to room. And that gets around that idea of moving people through a space. When VR first came onto the scene, everyone decided to do roller coasters. Now, what roller coaster simulations do, they move you at speed against your will and they rotate you against your will as well. So it's the worst thing you can do in VR. It's taking all of the worst aspects and just basically to create really good YouTube clips of people falling over <laughs> or being sick. Um, I think you've got to be respectful in VR. You've got to respect people's comfort levels, particularly for enterprise. If you're at a trade show and you're playing fast and loose with locomotion inside VR, you're going to have to clean up after people. Yep. <laughs> it's really, um, it's got to be factored in, the, the nausea aspect. Yes. Another limitation is resolution. The thing driving the resolution of modern mobile phones is virtual reality. Because with a low resolution screen, if you're putting it close to your face, you can see individual pixels. Now, when you're in motion and you're looking around, it's not as obvious. But if you're stopping, for example, to read some text, that limit on the resolution of the device really comes into play. The new headsets that are coming out now have really improved resolution. So you can have a much better quality virtual reality experience. Brilliant. So if I'm wanting AR then, what are the limitations of AR? Right, limitations of AR, usually we run into um, issues of fidelity of the objects. Um, we've had something come through recently which is um, a highly detailed object, which looks great if you're printing, if you're rendering an image for print or you're creating an animation. It doesn't matter, you can have that object looking exactly as it does in the 3D package. If you want to have that on a mobile device in real time, it's too slow. The frame rate drops, it looks jerky, so we have to optimize it. So I think the main limitation of augmented reality typically is creating an object that looks good enough or close enough to a product and is still low polygon enough, optimized enough to work on mobile via mobile AR, sorry. So that was the main issue there at the moment. Okay. Wi-Fi, would that make a difference? There was a conversation recently that I was having with somebody and the idea of ever-increasing Wi-Fi speeds, and they came up with the very reasonable um, comment that why are, you, why are we increasing Wi-Fi speeds? Why are we increasing internet speeds? Because streaming has almost hit the limit. With 4K streaming, you do need a faster connection. But I think the real compelling reason to have faster Wi-Fi, faster internet in general, is to deliver these immersive experiences. So to be able to actually push something over the cloud previously would have required a dedicated application. Oh. That is quite interesting because I'm quite keen as to see where Wi-Fi goes because 
I've lived in quite a few different countries and they've all got different Wi-Fi speeds. And I think, why can't we just all have the same Wi-Fi speed? Why can't we, why can't everyone catch up at the same time? It is frustrating, isn't it? Yeah. Especially, I think, when you see an advertised Wi-Fi speed and then you get your actual Wi-Fi speed and it's radically different from what you were yes. expecting. Um, I think it is getting a lot better. I mean, this is showing my age, but I do remember dial-up when we had 56K modems um, and if anyone picked up the phone, that was it. Your download was cut off. So I do feel you know, it's it's ungracious of me to complain about broadband speed too much. I mean, the demands have evolved, but you know, at least we don't have to take ten minutes to download a single image anymore. That's true. Um, fast, um, fast broadband, fast Wi-Fi. It's a more of a right now. People expect it. Oh, absolutely. I mean, every time I move house, if I'm disconnected from the internet for two weeks, I feel like I'm losing something. Mm. I really feel like uh, almost anxious that I'm not connected to the internet. Yeah, and it's only going to get better. So what are your final thoughts on AR, VR, gaming? Uh, final thoughts? Uh, definitely do it. <laughs> um, uh, I think some people's reservations about AR and VR is that they're a fad and uh, just the thing of the moment. I remember think, people thinking the same thing about gaming in general and the internet. Uh, it's not going anywhere. People refer to virtual reality as the last screen. The, the technology may change, but it will still be there. We factor this into the way we develop things. Though the delivery method might change, the content that we're creating now will still be working in two, three, five years' time, even if the delivery method is slightly different looking at the speed of announcements that are coming out, the competition right now in hardware, you've got massive, massive players putting a lot of weight behind virtual and augmented reality and immersive tech in general. So yeah, it's definitely sticking around. No, it's definitely sticking around and it's definitely going to improve. Is it worth jumping on the bandwagon now? Absolutely. Uh, as I was saying, anything that's generated now in terms of content, as long as it's planned the right way, can still be reused later. Uh, if you think about it as like commissioning a website. If you wrote uh, copy and created images for a website five years ago, even though the technology driving that website has changed, that information stays relevant. And it's the same now, whether it's training, 360 video, interactive gaming content, that will all still work. Even if the next technology is entirely holographic, you're still going to need those 3D models, sounds and interface and they can all be repurposed. Yeah. Well, that is all we've got time for now. Thanks very much for listening. I will be putting the document on our website at newmoonstudios.co.uk. So if you need a checklist when you are researching, when you are speaking to developers, even if it's not us, you can still download this document for free, our documentation checklist. And as always, if you've got a problem in your business, uh, let us know what it is and we'll see if we can solve it with tech. We'll brainstorm it and workshop it uh, in an upcoming podcast. Yeah, and you can do that by going to our Facebook page, The Immersive Tribe. You can contact us on Twitter at The Immersive Tribe or you can go through our website, um, newmoonstudios.co.uk. So subscribe to the Immersive Tribe. I like that jingle. <laughs> I'm going to keep using it. Cool. Right. See you later, guys. Bye. Thanks. Bye.